Hey, honey, I'm recording with Elliot. Oh, okay. Sorry. I oh, just, uh, that's all right. I was just checking in and just checking in and wanted to, wanted to see how the windows looked. They don't match the others, so that's just the reality. <laughs> Should we record this right now? Because Elliot and I are about to talk about conflict styles. <laughs> <laughs> well, honey, I, let's, let's wait till we get home and, uh, and then- talk about this face to face what style is that elliot he's an owl dan's an owl all the way yeah (laughs) oh he's already identified your conflict style yeah he's an owl he wants to get that closure and walk it through yeah you two have fun with the conflict style i look forward to listening to the podcast and i will uh, make my way home okay you drive safely and i love you very much and uh, we probably will keep this on the recording just for fun (laughs) (laughs) Okay. okay darling love you All right. Love you, babe. (laughs) Bye. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril, and as promised, when Elliot and I did our last Love and Life Live, we talked about conflict styles extensively, and we looked at each other in the middle of that live and said, this deserves its own podcast episode. So here we are to talk about a model for understanding our own individual conflict styles and how, most importantly, that impacts our romantic relationships and actually any other relationship in our life from family to friends. So Elliot has taught this for years and years. He's well-versed in it. He's actually taken the model and made some of his own tweaks to really flesh out all the possibilities of different ways that we may behave in the midst of conflict. Elliot, let's start with why is conflict actually a good thing from a marital therapist's perspective? Yeah, I think conflict in all relationships is necessary to increase intimacy. And I don't mean conflict, I'm intentionally just fighting with you or being mean or cruel. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the reality that we're not going to agree on everything. We're not going to have the same perspective on everything. We're not going to see everything the same. And rather than one of us just not talking about it or not sharing appropriate conflict is saying, hey, I see this differently. Let's talk through it. So conflict, when I'm speaking at marriage conferences, I call it necessary pain. It's a absolutely a, a needed positivity to help your intimacy grow, your trust grow, your support grow, and your effectiveness in communication and love grow. So the model that I used and worked on was based on Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument created by Kenneth Thomas and Ralph Kilman back in 1974, mainly as an HR tool to understand management from a business perspective. I took it in seminary in 1990 and thought, this tool is amazing. I don't want to use it for business nature. I want to use it in relationships and started using it in interpersonal relationships class and then instantly brought it into my premarital marital work and have literally given it to at least 1,500 people in different contexts of couples and classes. And so that's why I've developed so much around it. It is necessary, Karen. I know some couples like to argue more. Some don't argue much at all. That's not the issue to me at all. It's conflict's conflict. It's there every day in all relationships in some context. What do we do about it? 
So maybe right now people should press pause and go take the self-report assessment. It's online and it's free. You can Google it, Thomas-Kilman, and that's K-I-L-M-A-N-N, and Thomas with the H-T-H-O-M-A-S, and it is free online, and you can do the quick 30-question forced answer survey. Forced answer means, for those of you who didn't take graduate school in psychology like Karen and I did, it means you have two choices and you have to choose one, even if you don't think it's you. Which is most like you, or which would be a better representation of how you are most of the time. These are tough sometimes because you go, oh, I could go either way. Yeah, you make that forced choice and then it's going to give you right away, it's going to spit out. Also in the background, we have some conflict management happening with my dogs. I hear it going. Yeah, it'll automatically spit out for you certain results. And some of the names have changed over the years, but I'm going to the original ones back what I'm used to working with because I've identified those so much. I speak out of those. And another aspect of, of the conflict piece, Karen, is that if we view conflict immediately in our perspective, if we view it as negative, if we view it as wrong, we're not going to enter into it authentically and not be real, not be honest with each other. And that creates another whole level of conflict. For couples to learn and understand that this is positive and how to enter into it in a positive way, because some people don't know how to do it, and they either come in completely crazy mad and angry and argumentative and calling people names, or they just avoid it altogether. And we'll talk about those styles in just a minute. Yeah, because conflict is inevitable. If you're going to spend a life with someone, (laughs) you're going to have conflict unless you're totally inauthentic with Mm -hmm. that person. But yeah, so if you want true intimacy, and even when you were talking just a moment ago, when you were talking about how conflict absolutely does facilitate growth and intimacy, it, it caused me to think about how in our individual growth and development, we don't grow, we don't have that depth of character development, emotional maturity growth through smooth sailing. No, it's just like the classes we learn the best often in school are the ones that were the hardest or the professor was a jerk and we were so mad we had to do something differently or change or grow. So partners are either deathly afraid of conflict and therefore have very little intimacy or partners are deathly afraid of intimacy and have constant conflict. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you can feel like, oh, we fight all the time. We're so close. I'm like, not necessarily because if you're repeating the same arguments over and over again mm. and fighting over the thing, oh, same things without going underneath to find out what is really in the value line here, what's the clarification line to understand the issue in a deeper level. So constant bickering does not mean you have great effectiveness in your conflict, even if you feel it's fun. Let's flesh that out a little bit. Give me an example. Couples who are on the confrontational side. So maybe both of them are a little bit more leaning towards let's confront and go through these issues often will be fighting about values symptomatically through a choice or decision, how laundry is going to be done. And that becomes like a massive fight in the couple. And not just one time, but like every time. Wait, is this you and Angie in your early Not laundry. I I chose one specifically that was not us. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Dishes was ours. Did you want me to be more? (laughs) Just, yeah. We fought over dishes. So the value was about who was leading, who was going to create the home environment, whose style of relational context within the marital dynamic, not just relationally as a whole in subgroups and at Judson or anywhere else, that was the thing we were really arguing about. But it would come out symptomatically in things like the dishes. So I was always glad to do the dishes. And we both have clean house as part of our cultural value and our family marital value. So that's hugely important that it's there. 
but she wanted me to do dishes a certain way, not leave the water running or not be so messy or things like that. She's very particular and opinionated and her type of conflict will reveal itself soon. That makes that very clear. I wanted to do the dishes. I didn't mind that. It wasn't like arguing about, I don't want to do them. So I'm being a pain in the butt. It's just like, I'm just all in. There's water everywhere. There's stuff going all over the place. I'm not always completely efficient, but they're going to be clean. They're going to be done and I'm going to do them. And so we would have these arguments about that, even though I'd clean them up afterwards. And finally, thankfully, I'm in seminary at that moment, training to be a therapist. And I'm like, hon, we got to talk through this. This isn't about dishes. because we're really fighting about something besides dishes. So let's talk through it and help this get into some other layers. But that style of conflict for us is regular. Now we understand the value piece. And so it doesn't become escalated in any kind of damaging kind of stuff with name calling or anything like that, or separation, or not talking to each other, or stonewalling, all these kind of terms we can explain later. So now that we've worked through the conflict and we're willing to have the conflict about the stylistic difference, not only of doing dishes, but our values and how that looks or how we relate to things, it's just fun now. Now we can literally laugh about it. The current one with dishes is I like the water to be sprayed when I'm doing dishes. She wants it to be running regular. And so we laugh about that because she'll come over and I leave it on the spray by accident and she'll be like, oh. Can't believe you still do that. We laugh about it now. But early on in marriage, that could have led to an argument or something that would have lasted for three hours. So that's an example. I know you enjoy hearing these things that Angie and I go through together. So there's some entertainment for you. It's more because I think when we're talking, to my mind, and you know this as a speaker and a professor, it's just you got to give a concrete example to really give people something to sink their teeth into. I do know a couple who end up divorcing over laundry. That's why I brought the laundry example Mm -hmm. first. It wasn't about the laundry. It was about all the underlying values within that, about a clean home, mm-hmm. about a clean life, mm-hmm. about containment and control. But yeah, these things do matter. So we're using humorous, symptomatic behaviors that cause conflict. But the deeper line stuff is if those aren't brought in and figured out, it, it can destroy. And you can literally feel like, I just left my partner because he didn't pick his clothes off the floor. That could be annoying. Thankfully, we didn't have that issue. Yeah. So if someone hasn't taken the quiz, we would recommend right now just to get the full experience of this conversation, go and do the assessment before we tell you the different types of styles of conflict. Go do the assessment now, and that way you'll have a better understanding of how you are. And Take you about 20 minutes. And what I recommend, sorry to interrupt, Karen, but what I oh. recommend is our styles of conflict can vary in our environments. So who I was at home with family of origin, I was just as sharkish as Angie was. But who I was in couple relationships, I wasn't with my dating partners because I tended to date people who were more sharkish than me. And so then I'd go into a different pattern we'll talk about in a minute. And then who I was with my friends was different in the dorm than who I was as a basketball player where I was, again, very much assertively in charge and in control. So there's different elements of your conflict style And so when I'm working with couples, I say, hey, I want you to think of your partner when you do this test right now. Okay. And if you want to do it again another way, say, hey, I have issues with my family. Okay, then take it again as your family. Okay, and think specifically, this is about my dad. This is about my mom or my brother or whatever. And then take a test that way or best friend. Because if we're working on it for a relational romantic intimacy tool, think in your head, which one of these statements is about me and my wife or me and my boyfriend or me and my girlfriend and do it that way. All right. 
I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events, and it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free Empowered Dating Playbook. So I love that even in the initial part of getting this discussion going, you talked about values because values are always at the root of everything. They're at the root of every decision we make every day. They're at the root of every conflict we're going to have. So what else do we need to delve into just a bit to set the stage here? Yeah, I think it's also important to recognize that when we're in conflict, when we're frustrated, when we're angry, when we're a little bit raw, we're more authentic. And so elements of our soul, elements of our values will come out more in conflict that we wouldn't always bring to the table without it. And yes, you don't want all of a sudden your partner to be a screaming lunatic, but if they are a screaming lunatic in conflict, that reveals something to you that's very important and needs to be taken in consideration as you're building your intimacy and building forward. Yeah, they might say something they wish they hadn't. That's absolutely true. And again, it doesn't mean if anybody has anger issues, they're automatically should be eliminated from your relationship life, but it's certainly an indicator of something and how someone responds in conflict, whether they're all in and very attacking or completely remove themselves and don't do anything. Those are significant pieces of character and values that need to be examined and talked through. That's why we do these evaluations in premarital work. And we talk about them together. So the couple can wrestle through and talk through right there in front of me and sometimes even have an argument right there in front of me to help them walk through that and navigate it. And just bringing the values right back in, how you manage conflict, part of it probably is a bit of our temperament, our innate DNA, the, the nature part of our personality. And then the nurture part, certain families, this is the way we handle conflict in this family. We duke it out. In other families, they might say, no, we just go to our rooms, we go to our corners, and we sleep on it and then pretend it never happened. So a couple or an individual who is now in partnership is bringing both their temperamental elements of how they would prefer to manage conflict. And then also their, have they been socialized by their family of origin to manage conflict? And then also how they value as an adult. Maybe they said, yeah, I don't like how my family was just so bombastic. Yeah. And conflict theory tells us that the identification of our same gendered parent is the most likely influencer of us. So we might have a really aggressive, angry father, and we might end up being really aggressive, angry also, or we'll be polar opposite. And we're like, screw that. That I was hated that my whole life, so I'm never going to get angry. Right. But we still are kicking off of something. So your point of the DNA, family of origin, root of conflict, temperament, style, personality, representation is extremely true. Yeah. And then as an adult, you might go, to your point, I don't want to be like that. And yeah. how you manage conflict is huge. I don't like to use the term manage conflict, even though that's exactly what the textbooks always say. I don't think it's appropriate. Managing to me in the relational context seems about control and about containing in a way that I don't, don't always think is best. And I'm sorry I didn't give that to you ahead of time, so I didn't have to work on your word there for the context of counseling. But I like negotiating. Learn how okay. to negotiate your conflict style, negotiate your communication style within the conflict, because that sounds like a win-win. Negotiate. Let's figure out how my style and your style can work together 
rather than let's manage it or let's yeah. compromise. And compromise is what was always used in my era growing up and through counseling. We would talk all the time, help the couples compromise. And I always didn't like it, but I didn't know why. Mm. And not mm-hmm. just because I don't have a very compromising style in my marriage. That was probably part of the reason I didn't like it. But the other part <laughs> is it's just not me. I'm like, I don't want to compromise. That sounds like I'm supposed to do something that's not fully me. Yeah. Why do I want to compromise my energy, my spirit in an authentic relationship with the woman I love more than anything in the world outside of Jesus, right? That didn't sound right to me. And so I started yeah. changing that vernacular and I teach couples how to negotiate their style, negotiate their needs, not compromise. Yeah, I like that. I think it's compromise feels like, oh, we just got to... Concession to me. That's yeah. what it feels like to me. It feels like concession. Make it work. And-, and I think you are naturally pretty good compromiser. And that's not a negative trait of yours. I just mean in general, you're able to diffuse the side and compromise in a scenario that doesn't impact who you are. So I don't want your listeners to think if they compromise at all, that's negative. It's not the point. Temperament, personality, style. I just think it's healthier for couples to think of negotiating their needs rather than compromise their needs. The way I look at it, when you say that, I think I agree with what your assessment is of me. I think I pick my battles. A lot of things I just don't care that much about. And then there's a lot of things I care extremely passionately about. So Dan's like, what do you want to go for dinner? I'm like, I don't care, whatever. But how about the jab? (laughs) (laughs) Then there we we go. (laughs) And we're off. And now here's part of that difference. So there's like essentially three different styles or categories of these conflict styles with the five different animals that represent these styles. There's two on the confronting side. There's one in the neutral side, and then there's two on the avoider side. So part of the reason you're better at compromising and able to look at those scenarios about what you're willing to invest in conflict with and what you're not is because you're on the avoider side. I'm in. (laughs) Oh, I know that. (laughs) And I'm in the neutral assertive side based on my animal representations, which we'll give in a minute. And my wife is on the very strong confrontational side. So that's why you recognize these differences on what compromise looks like for different people because two avoiders are going to say, yeah, we compromise all the time. It's wonderful. We bless each other in that. And they are. I'm not, I just want to make sure people didn't think I was saying compromise is always wrong. But you have two confronters together. They better not be working on compromise because they'll be so angry and frustrated and disappointing each other. They got to negotiate. So anyway, so there's five different animals then. The two that, that are on the confronting side, the first one is the shark. And so how you get your animal representations on this test is They're based on a possibility of choosing the shark answers 12 times. 12 times you could get a a score of 12 on your shark. And so how Thomas Kilman did it was anything that you score eight or above in is considered a primary conflict style. So the shark is the first one that's on the confrontive side and their conflict style is called competitive. They're very competitive in their conflict. And their must statement happens in these kind of styles is that they must win. So they're very assertive. They're very aggressive. And when they're in the middle of a conflict, it can often be more about the principle or the standard than even the issue. And the principle about being right. Sharks want to be right. And they believe they're right. And they think they're right. Or the idea that they have to win that argument, even if the other person brings up some good points. So again, it sounds like I'm giving all these negative characteristics of the shark, and it's not. Sharks are super important. My wife scored an 11 out of 12 on her shark score, and she's scored that way. We've probably taken the test four or five times ago. She scores that way every single time. But when you're a kindergarten teacher and you have 25 little kindergartners, age five, in your classroom, you better have some assertive 
control and containment. So again, God has gifted her in her shark spirit and it gives her what a great advocacy tool for her with foster kids and all the different things we've done as a, a couple where that shark nature, that competitive conflict nature, and hey, we are going to resolve this issue and we are going to advocate for this foster child in the court. And she would take it as far as she had to get what was right for that child. So yes, that shark part of her is a gift and it's God ordained and it's not a weakness. It's not a flaw and it's not a sinfulness. But when it's in a dating, romantic, supportive relationship, what does that shark look like? That's when the shark can say, hey, there's a right and a wrong. And if you're not doing it the right way, I must confront you about it. This is the way you do dishes. That's an example of the shark coming out in that context, which wasn't always healthy or beneficial to us. And we had to work through the values underneath that. So that's the first animal representation within this conflict style. And you've got it, just to recap, competitive conflict, the must is must win. So the competition piece and the winning piece. Excellent lawyers are sharks, right? They oh, got to yeah. be. And they got to be. Yeah, to do it right, you got to be, be litigators, they would have yeah. to be. Look at all my friends who are sharks, right? Does it make sense? We were all fighting and arguing all the time growing up, and we loved it. <laughs> yes. And everyone's, everyone, think of all my friends, literally a majority of my best friend group from Cincinnati growing up are lawyers. Yeah. And I was a crisis therapist. We all had that shark-like tendency in that shark movement. So even though it's not my primary score, I have a pretty high shark score. It's a secondary score. It's between six and eight. I have a six, meaning I can go shark. I can go shark. And like I said, as an athlete, I was a shark. I was going to beat you. I was going to let you know about it. I was going to win and I'm going to have the, that's that mentality. So that's why I'm saying for your listeners, you can have pieces of these all over the place and not to feel like, oh, I don't know what I am because I have this way and this way, that way. Our satisfaction and joy in life is directly related to our satisfaction and joy in our relationships. Elliot and I are here to help. We'd love to design a workshop, seminar, or weekend retreat for your organization. We'll bring the psych research, of course, along with over 60 years of combined experience in psychotherapy. We'll share science-based therapeutic techniques within the context of a Christian worldview. We can level up in our relationships. Contact our producer, Tim May, at tim at loveandlifemedia.com to book us animal on the confrontation side is the owl. And an owl is about closure conflict. Shark about competitive. Mm -hmm. Owl about closure. And the must statement is the owl must resolve. So owls, just like the animal we think about, has a wise spirit. They tend to be judges, professors, people who are going to think systemically and open and they're going to be assertive, but they're going to be more laid back than a shark. You don't think of an owl and a shark hanging out but they're both confrontational. The shark's gonna, the owl's gonna bring something forward and their goal is to get closure. Let's get this finished. Let's resolve the issue. <laughs> now, what happens for a lot of owls- I'm just laughing because you you called Dan out in five seconds. Well, Not I, five I knew, seconds. You've known him for I've, a long time. Him, but. Yeah, I've known him a decade. So it was pretty clear <laughs> right. to me. And it made sense how it fit with you, which made me yeah. happy. But Sorry, I'm just, that's what yeah. made me laugh because we've never, I don't know why we've never, I took this back when I took your class. Yeah. So I know- this model has been something you've used for a long time, but you and I, I don't think we've ever talked about it relating to Dan and me. No, we've talked about with our siblings and yeah. our parents and all that. Yeah. I don't okay. Know. Sorry. I, I interrupted you. Go yeah, I should have said a long time ago. Hey, by the way, your husband's an owl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've watched him do it to you <laughs> right in your face. 
hey, listen up. We're going to take care of this right now. Let's get it solved. Let's do the issue. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, your producer and manager has some of that in him as well. So he's like, hey, mm. let's get on task. Let's get this done. Let's figure out what's going to resolve the issue. <laughs> to closure, to get to so the, the closure. So the closure. Now where an owl struggles is when they can't get that. So if an owl can't get closure, if an owl can't feel like it can get resolved, it can get pretty obsessive for them and they can get pretty stuck in it. Another aspect of owls that happens a lot, especially more with female owls, again, this is gender stuff based on my experience and I can't even theologically and psychologically spell it all out. I've just been doing it so long with so many people. But a lot of female owls, especially if they have a husband or a partner, male partner, who is an avoider, and they can't get that closure as much, it can get so obsessive and they just, they can't rest. They like wake their partner up and say, we got to talk through this one more time. And the, and the partner's like, oh, we already did. <laughs> and if they can't get the closure the yeah. way they want the closure, so they might have a voiding partner who says, oh, we got to resolve, we're good. But if she can't feel the fullness of that and feel total peace about it, she can get really stuck and bring that issue up over and over again. And he's like, Honey, we just talked about it yesterday. I feel closure. And if she can't get it, she'll just keep going and going. Mm -hmm. Again, owls are important. They're helpful. Moses was now, I forgot to give biblical characters. Like Paul was a complete shark. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. She would just go right in the middle of Athens and challenge every philosopher. You want to, you want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe on philosophy? <laughs> Boom. Paul's right there, right? John Mark didn't do what Paul wanted him to do in missionary. You're fired. You're off. <laughs> I, you're done. So we talked about some biblical characters here to give. When I do this with churches, I like to lay that out. So an owl was like Moses. He was, he didn't want to be a confronter. Mm -hmm. He was an avoider by nature. But when God said, Hey, I need you to do this. You're going to have to go confront Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to go lead the people out of Egypt. Moses learned how to be an owl. So what we do in marital therapy or premarital therapy is not only identify ourselves but we identify our primary family of origin. And mm. so that's why we look and say, man, I'm a pretty strong shark. I'm not talking to me. I'm talking in general. Or my wife, she's a strong shark. What is her mother like? Let's take a look at that to look for identify. Oh my goodness. She's also a very strong shark. What's her grandma like? Oh, another very strong shark. And you say, oh, here comes the shark line. And mm -hmm. now my daughter Paige, boom, here's another line of the shark. So you recognize that same gender passes down. Our father was a hybrid, but he was very sharkish. I'll explain a hybrid later. But he's very sharkish. And our brother, for the first 30 years of his life, very sharkish. And his, his daughter has a very sharkish. So you can go down this line, and I'll explain those differences in a minute where mm -hmm. he went later. But it's an example for couples to work on and recognize these patterns. So the third animal is the only one in the neutral. This is the best animal representation because it's mine. So... The third animal that's is the one, works, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the one who can go either way, and that's the fox. And when I read the conflict style, it's manipulative. That makes sense why I'm saying it's the best one immediately, because that's what foxes do. So foxes, their ideas must coerce, right? They're going to try to inspire and influence and talk people into what they want. And so... A fox can be a confronter if they need to be, and they can be an avoider if they need to be, or they can do both at the same time. So for my wife and I, when we were early in marriage and didn't have all our values figured out and understood enough, when she would come out really strong shark, I would, I'm a fox, I would go into the shark mode, but lace it with fox. And I might even change my position or my standard in the middle of the argument and drive her insane. 
<laughs> and she'd be like, you just were arguing this point. Now I switched on. I go, yeah, because I don't believe that one. I believe this one. And just what? That was incapable for her, incomprehensible for her to think about. So that's what foxes do. In scripture, Peter was a fox. Peter rebuked the Lord to not go to Jerusalem, right? And he's also the first one to identify who Christ was. You are the Messiah. Peter was willing to get out of the boat and walk on the water. And Peter denied Christ. So Peter was on the confrontational side. He was on the avoider side. He was using his language. God chose him to be the primary preacher after Jesus left. So how is this not bipolar? It can, it can look bipolar in temperament. It's not bipolar in psychological disorder. But no, you're exactly right. It can be all over the map. And you grew up with me when I was more shark than fox. But the fox side was there too because you and I had a lot of fun together. Mm -hmm. We did all kinds of cool stuff together. Enjoyed each other's company way more than... Warren and me or you and Warren. So we would do our commercials and we would play all those games and you would play football with me and all that. And then I could turn around, and just be extremely cruel to you and mean and hurt you. And there's an example of the bipolar. So one moment the fox was fun and having fun with his avoiding sister. And then the next moment I'm like attacking you. So you're right. It can be bipolar. And for a, a fox who doesn't understand him or herself in marriage or in partnership, they can end up using that as a manipulative tool to mm -hmm. dominate their partner. It's on the confrontive side. So again, each of these conflict styles has strengths for relationships, but if you don't understand yourself and understand what it's like and how to use that and negotiate that appropriately, it can cause trouble. So I like to give both sides. Yeah. Now we have two animals on the avoiding side and the animal representations make perfect sense for this. <laughs> so the first animal is the teddy bear. So the teddy bear wants peaceful conflict, wants everybody to love each other, and that's why it's must love. I'll let you read them all again in a minute once I'm done. Yeah. Move. So the teddy bear wants everybody to be happy. And so if conflict can be brought up calmly and kindly and graciously, a teddy bear can get there a little bit, but they're not going to want it. And they're not going to want to get to the point where anybody has hurt feelings. Known teddy bears who've in the middle of a conflict try to hug their shark. Oh. Because they're like, I just can't take this pain right now. Can we just please hug and kiss? And the shark's like, are you kidding me? I'm ready to chop your head off or bite your head off. And so there's that nature of a teddy bear is that they're going to always go to the warmth side, always go to the affection side that you want peace. And that's a big word, especially if it's a male teddy bear. I have so many male partners who are married to or dating a confronter like a shark and just always talk about why do we have to argue? Why can't we just have peace? Right. And we'd have to talk about what peace looks like to a shark and what peace looks like to a teddy bear. For a teddy bear, it means environmental calmness and trust and security and openness. And for a shark, that's not possible without getting these values clearly identified, clarified, and walked through. So again, that's why I teach negotiation, not management. Let's talk through these together. How can a teddy bear live with a shark? Just the animals themselves makes it humorous. Can you imagine a teddy bear jumping into a shark pool? Or a shark coming out to sit around a tea party, whatever you girls do when you're little with your little dolls and everything, and with sit there with teddy the teddy bears. bear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's the teddy bear. That's on the avoider side. And then the last one on the avoiding side is the turtle. So a turtle ignores conflict. A turtle pulls their head in, goes in the shell and says, nope, not doing it. Their mm -hmm. must factor is they must leave. So when a turtle gets confronted... 99 out of 100 times, they're moving on. They're going in their room and shutting the door. They're pulling up their laptop and not looking at you anymore. They might stonewall you and not have a conversation anymore whatsoever. So turtles is 
it's a part of the conflict style, but it can be the most dangerous if not worked through. To not want to ever be in conflict or to automatically leave in conflict can be difficult. Way more men are turtles than females. It's probably three to one in the 1500 or 2000 tests I've given. Often turtles are avoiding strong emotions inside that they're afraid of. So they're fearful, and they've said this to me in so many times in sessions where I have to leave because if I start saying what I'm mad about, I don't know what I'm capable of. Right. And so there's a positive example that a turtle saying, hey, I don't trust myself. I'm not going to start unleashing this anger and damage my relationship. And for that, I'm thankful. But it's trying to teach the turtle then how do we get some of this out in a calm way, maybe write some stuff down separately by yourself and then bring them to your partner and let them read them and then work through that. And so you can see these polarities. And if a shark marries a turtle, how difficult that can be. Yeah, Because you got a shark that has to confront and has to win and has to be competitive. And a turtle is saying, I don't want to fight ever. I don't want to argue ever. And if you do, I'm leaving. And so it happens all the time. I don't know why. <laughs> this is the way we are in relationships and the attraction model. You and I have talked about that, the differences that sometimes attract and seems harmonious and balanced when you're in courting and then all of a sudden you're married and you're like, what in the world was I seeing? And sometimes turtles will say, I did talk about it. They maybe said one sentence. <laughs> Where the owl, who's wanting closure and resolvement, ready to spend a three-day retreat on one issue. So I often coach young couples, not that it can't be older couples, but young couples about even calling themselves by these animals a little bit once in a while because it can depersonalize. So for Angie and I, early in our marriage, she would say stuff to me like, hey, a little bit too much Fox now. <laughs> She'd say something like, I think you're being a car salesman to me or whatever, that kind of language, rather than attacking me personally. And I would say to her, hey, can you put the shark in the tank again for a little bit so we can talk through this a little bit differently? And some couples that won't work because then it makes mm -hmm. them mad that they're identifying by that. But I found it to be a helpful tool for couples if they can do that in a calm, respectful, honoring way not demeaning the person's style or shaming the person's style because most of these are so ingrained in our family of origin and in our history and our relationships. And there's patterns. My girlfriend before Angie was also a strong shark. I was obviously drawn to that representation. Our mother is not a confronter at all. She's complete teddy bear turtle style. Just you identify with her, but I didn't choose women who are like that. I choose women who are the opposite, more like my father. And they talk about that um, that recapitulation. Thank you. Recapitulation of those issues from our past that I think play out in what we're attracted to. We can't really stop that, but it's good to know it. If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. So those are the main five. So then after all these years doing it, I'm like, okay, I'm seeing some patterns and I'm going to create my own animals. So I have four more animals. The first one is on the confrontive side again. It's a hammerhead. And their conflict is compulsive. Now, sharks will be assertive and owls will be assertive. But a hammerhead, which means your shark owl score was both above eight, means that you're almost looking and you're going to create conflict all the time. And then you're going to be not only looking to win, but looking to have closure looking how to resolve. And often it can be abusive. And that's why I wrote down in the must category, must destroy. Right. So hammerheads are going to really light you up. Again, there's examples of hammerhead in scripture. There's an example 
I would say a majority of missionary and ministry agencies that have been created in this world, especially in dark, difficult, oppressive areas, sex trafficking, human slavery, not only sex field, but otherwise child labor, it takes a hammerhead to change them. So God uses hammerhead personalities to go and go, you know what? Enough's enough. This is not right. And I will not stand for it. I will go and destroy this evil system. So if you're a hammerhead, I don't want you to feel like, oh my gosh, I have no choice or I have no possibility. And when I give this to the students, and I'm thinking of a current senior at Judson that got a hammerhead score and she was pretty devastated by it and came and talked to me about it afterwards. But she grew up in the foster care system. She grew up abandoned by generations of addicts. And so I was able to reframe that for her and help her recognize you needed your hammerhead to survive. Look at you, you're getting ready to graduate from college. You now want to go work in the industry that mistreated you. That's the strength of your hammerhead. A survival tool. Exactly. And yet she recognized, yeah, but this is having, this is raising itself in my dating relationships. And I go, I got you. Yeah. I understand that completely. Let's talk through that piece of it, but don't take your hammerhead part and now feel shame about it because you've used that to survive and to be strong. It's pretty cool. The second hybrid animal is if you have a shark and turtle score both high. So now we have, I'm confrontational and yet I'm an avoider. And so this was, you were getting to that bipolar piece a little bit, that polarity mm -hmm. piece there. Here's an animal that does that. And I think our father did this a lot. So the snapping turtle is going to be passive, aggressive in conflict. They don't necessarily want it. They're going to make it obvious that they're not happy. And it tends to be the kind of person who simmers in a certain level of discontentment and frustration. And then boom, they're going to attack. And the snapping turtle bites and retreats. That's why the must is the must bite. So snapping turtles can be pretty dangerous in relation because you think things are okay. You think things are reasonable and all of a sudden they just scream at you or yell at or say something really caustic or demean or mean. And then you're ready to have a conversation if you're a confronter and oh, good, we finally got this out. And then boom, they leave. Like when dad would yell at the ref and then storm off and out leave, of your game. Leave me and mom and you right. up in Dayton, Ohio because right. <laughs> he was so angry. He didn't know what to do about it. But yeah. the snapping turtle side that helped me was our father was beaten by our grandfather at times. And I certainly provoked dad to that level of anger many times. And he would leave and walk around the block rather than beat me. So there's where his turtle side saved the legacy of abuse and turned it into effective fathering. So again, there's not example of a snapping turtle. Dad didn't like conflicts with people. Remember, he would... When he was a professor at UC, he went to the provost or whatever and got himself removed from all the faculty meetings. He got his own little island because he was sick of it and he was mad and he didn't want to conflict. And right, so there's examples where you can use the snapping turtle piece for you. And because mom was such an avoider, he could stay on the avoiding side of conflict so they didn't have really damaging arguments like that could have happened and that he saw with his parents mm -hmm. who were both on the confrontive side. We're not trying to slam dad at all for being a snapping turtle shark and that kind of combination, but there's an example of the, how that looks in a relationship. The third one is snow owl. And this is actually my score now the last two times I've taken the test, Karen. So mm. snow owl is an owl, so on the confrontational side, with the fox. And the snow owls, for you guys who know your animals, they're white in the winter and they're brown in the summer. They adapt to their environment and change. They do that for protection, obviously, so they're not hunted and killed. So the snow owl 
what I have down in the conflict style is wishy-washy, but I should really change that because that sounds more negative. Mm -hmm. It can be, but it's more adaptable conflict is what I really should have written. And then it's the must change. They're going to change in the benefit of the scenario and the benefit of the relationship. They will figure out how to change. And so in my context with my wife, I will be brown when she needs to be a shark. And like most women, when my wife gets emotional, she still has an avoidance side, a sad side, more an avoidance side. Then I can be the different style, a fox, and be in that side as well. So these hybrids, by the way, were created because I saw them in partnership the most in score. So I always saved them. You know how I'm obsessive about stats and stuff. So I'd always save them and load them into my computer and go, okay, 10 years now I'm doing this test. What patterns am I seeing? Right. And these were the ones I said, okay, I'm going to create an animal then that represents this because I'm seeing it so much. The last one, as far as the animals, is the panda. And I believe this was one of your last scores. This is when the teddy bear and turtle score are both high. I think my last score, I don't remember what I did at Judson. I was probably just straight teddy bear. I thought you were straight teddy bear, yeah. But I, yeah, at Judson, I think. But I think, remember I told you, I took it again just a couple weeks ago, and I think I had maybe still teddy bear top, but then fox was number two, and I was surprised by that. Okay, so fox number two, but makes sense with an owl husband. Panda is Olivia. So we'll give an example of my daughter, my other daughter, Olivia. My other daughter, Paige, is a shark like her mama. Olivia is a panda. That's the teddy bear turtle together. So that's both avoiders. And if you know about the panda bears, they're the most individualistic of the bear family. Most of the bears travel together. Pandas are more isolated by themselves. Hmm. And yet they're super cute and super cuddly, but they're actually not very affectionate bears. And people don't know that because they're so cute. (laughs) So that's why I use the panda as that example and my love of animals, but insecure conflict. And what happens to pandas often is it's the must please. So they can get caught pleasing others and then have a lot of resentment in their heart, a lot of frustration, a lot of disappointment, a lot of sadness because they're so busy trying to make everyone else feel good and look good and be happy that they fail to get their own needs negotiated, connected, communicated, and met. The fifth one that's not on here, so 10 total, is the amoeba. And the amoeba is extremely rare. If you're scoring, that's someone who doesn't get a single category above eight or below four. So everyone is in the middle. So it's the Mm -hmm. middle tier for every single score, which is very rare. There's probably been out of the 2000, let's say I've done it 2000, there's probably been maybe 70. So very rare. And the amoeba essentially is, I don't know and must hide, must move. Where I've seen that come out the most, Karen, is amoebas have often come from very traumatic backgrounds maybe a lot of abuse, a lot of abandonment. I've seen the score with some missionary kids and some uh, military kids where they went to like different schools growing up. Right, right. And they just changed identity and changed temperament personality so many times, not because they were trying to be manipulative, just out of existence. It was just so different, nonstop change. And so often with amoebas, and again, when students get the amoeba score, they're sometimes a little freaked out. And we did have one this past semester who did. And again, she fit right into all the things we just Mm -hmm. talked about. And I just helped her understand that it's okay. Don't panic. It doesn't mean you don't know who you are. And temperament and conflict means you got to analyze it a little bit, integrate a little bit, and move towards, even move towards one particular style that you feel resonates with you and start learning how to take that on a little bit. Basically, Mm -hmm. they haven't created a conflict identity yet. There's just not either been enough experience or enough safety or enough move to do it. Yeah, and in that case... 
coming to that realization as an adult, I would think that values clarification. So how do they want to be? Maybe that's an opportunity, not a bad thing to be an amoeba. You can be like, I can make more choices, more intentional choices about how I want to negotiate. That's that's the perfect reframe. You have an open palette to, to move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes what they're drawn to in relationships, whether friends or romantic partners might give them a hint on what they're attracted to. And then usually if you ask them just a blanket generic statement, do you hate conflict? Are you okay with it? That'll help you know which side you're on. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. Okay, so now we've got the framework in place. And I think, Elliot, it'll be a great idea for us to do a part two to give some real concrete examples from our own life and from all the couples you've worked with and the, and the individuals that we've been in community with to really flesh out these different scenarios and different configurations when you've got a shark with an owl or a teddy bear with a fox. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, well, thank you so much. And... We will be right back for part two in just a couple days. All right. The love and life hack for this week is conflict can deepen intimacy. It's all about recognizing your styles and working with them as a couple. And because negotiating conflict is so crucial for healthy relating, we're devoting two more episodes full of wisdom from Elliot's 30 years of counseling couples. Stay tuned for these episodes, which we'll post next week. Thank you, as always, for spending a portion of your day with us. If you felt the episode was valuable and or it encouraged you, we'd be so honored if you'd share it with a friend or two. Thanks a million. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen anderson April, And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.